Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. This morning, I, I want to begin um, by saying uh, Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers and grandfathers that are here today. I especially want to say Happy Father's Day to my dad, who is in Ohio. And I believe he's watching on Facebook right now. And so happy Father's Day to my dad. And we appreciate you and love you. Uh, but I just want to say happy Father's Day to this group of men that are here today. We, we really do appreciate you. We appreciate your example. We appreciate your impact in our life. And, and, and you know, we got, th- this church has got great fathers. Can you say amen? Oh, yeah. And I can't speak for every other church, but I can speak for this one. And you guys rock. You guys are good guys. Amen. And so happy Father's Day. Amen. Thank you. Now this morning, the task that I have before me is a monumental one. And you say, well, what, what are you going to do? Well, my goal this morning is to describe to you with some pretty clear accuracy the Father heart of God. Now, the, the, you need to understand something. That truly is a task that is really beyond the scope of human ability. I, I am not setting myself up today to be a guru or a theologian or somebody that just is a general know-it-all, because I'm not. I do not know it all. I know some things. I don't know it all. Um, I'm not really a theologian, and I am definitely not a guru. And the thing, though, is the Lord laid this on my heart, and we are taking this in a direction, because this is going to, we're going to chase this out a little ways. But I really believe this morning that God wants us to understand what his heart is like. And it really is going to take the help of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will take these words that I speak and that he will cause them to penetrate your life. Amen. Now, I don't know (coughs) this morning if there's ever been a time in human history where we have needed a clearer and more accurate understanding of the Father heart of God than we do right now. I want to say that again. I want you to, I I want to be deliberate. I think it's this season in history where we desperately need to be able to understand God's heart. We need to understand what it's all about and what's in it for us. Because so much, now listen to me. Let me let me stop. Let me before I I'm gonna go off my notes here for a minute. How many here have a struggle? You got some struggles in your life. Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. Those of you that didn't, you need to see me afterwards because I need to know your secret. I need to know your secret. But the truth is, everyone in this room has struggles. That's just part of life. Life is a struggle. Jesus put it this way. He says, "In this world, you'll have tribulation." That's just part of life, okay? But listen, so much of the struggles, of the wounds, of the dysfunctions, the destructive habits and hang-ups of our life, they really are the direct result of having become so distant from our Father in heaven. Listen, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to listen clearly. Sin separates us from God. 
Okay? I'm going to follow this through. You hang on with me. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, the Bible says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. Now, when sin entered the world, what happened is mankind became orphaned. Think about it, back to Adam and Eve. When they were created, they were not created as orphans, were they? No. They were put in a, they had perfect bodies, perfect environment, and they had a perfect relationship with their father. But we know that they became orphans the moment they left the presence of God and embraced sin. Literally, they acquired an orphan spirit and lived outside of his domain. And from that day forward, they had to deal with the outside world on their own. As a result, they made poor decisions and they lived through one catastrophic problem after another. Now, before, they used to live in perfect freedom, provision, Life was perfect in every way. They were free from worry. They were free from fear. In fact, they were free from shame. But the moment they sinned, they felt the full impact of fear and shame. And this mentality and the emotions that come along with it, they're passed on from one generation to the next. All because... Sin separates or orphans us from our Heavenly Father. Now, wait a second, preacher. I know you're thinking this. Didn't Jesus come to set us free from that curse? Without a doubt, absolutely, yes, he did. But here is the problem. When we, still, when we do not know, when we remain in a place where we do not understand the Father heart of God, or we greatly understand, misunderstand His intentions towards us, we remain stuck in a world of the orphan. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. See, oftentimes when you preach messages like this, knowing the Father heart of God, it's, it, it's like people receive it. It's like it's a great, great sermon. That's good. God's good. That's great. Everything good. Let's go get a cheeseburger. But what I'm telling you here today is when you come to understand this truth, who he really is to you, that he really is your father, it'll revolutionize your life. It changes everything. See, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal the Father so that it would ignite our heart and empower us. There's nothing that will empower the human spirit like knowing, not possessing info, but knowing the Father. Because it creates a confidence in our spirit. And it brings about an assurance and an acceptance even when we fail. That's right. Listen to me. You know what happens when we fail? 
When we fail, we tend to feel like failures. We tend to feel like, you know what, you're no good. You're rotten. See, I told you so. You shouldn't have tried it. You can't do nothing. You're, you're a waste of time. And that, my friend, is thinking like an orphan. But when we understand the Father, when we understand how much He loves us, when we understand His intention toward us, when we understand what He did for us, we no longer think like an orphan or a slave, but we start thinking like a son. Here's the problem with Christianity. Too many Christians who are legitimately sons of God are living like slaves. All because they do not understand the Father's heart. See, when we understand the Father's heart, it gives us a resolve to continue to go forward because we know that we have merely just stumbled, but we have not really failed because we have not quit, and the story is not over. Yes, it may be a setback. Yes, there may be a a moment of delay. But the father comes along, he picks us up, he dusts us off, and he says, go again. So what we do is when we fail, we end up running towards God instead of away from him. When we stumble and fall in our weakness, we find strength is made perfect in that moment because he's our father. So let's look at our text, John chapter 14, verse number 7 through 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, if you had known who I am, then you would have known who my father is. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Philip, don't you even yet know who I am? Even after all the time I've been with you, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see him? Now here in John chapter 4, it's the end of Jesus' ministry. He's winding down. He's coming close to going to the cross. And he's clarifying what his ministry has been all about. He's giving them a clarification of who he is. But he's also showing them some promises for the future. And he's saying to the disciples, he's going, you know what, guys? I'm not sure that you guys really understand what I've been about and what I've been trying to do this last three and a half years. He says, I've been raising the dead. I've been healing the sick. I've been setting the captive free. And I've been teaching people the word of God. And I've developed a relationship so much with you that I call you friends. He says, but I'm not sure you really understand exactly what that's all about. So in verse number seven, speaking to the disciples, he says, if you had known me, you have known my father also. See, this was a brand new idea to the disciples. They thought they knew what Jesus was about. They thought they knew who the father was. But Jesus says, no, you you guys didn't get it. He says, the whole time I've been here, I've been revealing the personality, the character, the essence of who my father is to you. He that has seen me has seen the father. He says, I don't say anything that he hasn't already said. 
I don't do anything that he hasn't already done. But I represent him in every way, and I am a reflection of who the Father is. The reason this is so stunning and so significant is because in the Jewish context with Jewish traditions and teachings, they understood God as creator. They understood God as a transcendent God, which basically means that he was a God that was powerful, utterly beyond all that one could imagine. He was completely and infinitely higher And he lived in a realm of his own. And the Jewish mindset understood that God was was filled with power and glory. And to that mindset, he was very distant, but very powerful. And the only appropriate response was to tremble before him. Then Jesus came and said, let me show you something a little different. Let me show you what God is really like. Yes, he is transcendent. Yes, he has so much power that when you see it, you will tremble before it when you encounter him. But that's not enough. It's not enough to know God is a transcendent God. It's not enough to know that God is able. See, most people do not struggle with God's ability. Nobody has ever sat down and go, well, I wonder if he can really pull it off. You know, nobody ever in their, in their struggle of faith never struggles with, God, with whether God can heal. We always struggle with, will he? And that's where this problem lies in. Because, see, we're not struggling with the fact that God is high and lifted up. We're not struggling with the fact that he's mighty, he's awesome, he's majestic, he is all that he says he is. What we're struggling with is, will this one step off his throne enough to get involved in my puny life? Are you hearing me? So on one side of the equation, we understand God is this great and wonderful, brilliant God. But we're wondering if the high and mighty Oz, if I could call it that just for a moment, will actually come out behind the curtain and help me to find my way home. Is he that personal? Will he get involved? The man with... Leprosy came to Jesus and said, if you want to, you could make me whole. And Jesus didn't said, you're right, I could. See, that's usually what we hear from him. You're right, I could. Now move along. That's usually what we hear. Those are the ears of a slave. But a son hears something different. I want to. I want to. I want to heal you. I want to set you free. Jesus said we needed a different revelation. He wanted them to know, and he wants us to know, what the Father's really like. That he is, in fact, in love with us. His desire is to have a personal relationship with us. He's not just a transcendent creator before whom we tremble, but he is a tender-hearted father who loves us with an immeasurable love. Are you hearing me? See, this was new to the Jewish mindset. 
because they knew about trembling before God of great power, but they didn't know anything about having a relationship with him. They knew to keep their distance. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find that the, the majority, with just a rare exception of a few, would always keep their distance from God. They would worship him with awe, but they did not know how to draw close to him with love and affection, nor did they know he even wanted that. Are you hearing me? And that describes so much of Christianity today. See, church, we, we just need to fall in love with him again. But to fall in love with him, we've got to get to know him. See, from the beginning, he has been a father. Listen to me. He's not like a father. He doesn't just function as a father. At the core of his being, he feels, thinks, and behaves as a father. Because from the eternal past, he's been a perfect father that loves his children infinitely. Are you hearing me? Now, I want to share a story with you. It's a familiar story. Most of you, if you've been around in church any length of time, have heard it. But I want you to look at it in a new perspective. It's a story, the story of the prodigal son. And I'm only going to read one verse, and it's the starting verse. Luke 15, 11 says, there was a man who had two sons. Now, we know the story. The story is of a man that had these two sons, and the younger son <coughs> came to him one day and said, look, Dad, I'm tired of being in this house. I don't like your rules. I don't like doing what you want me to do. In fact, I don't even know if I like you. You're almost as good as dead to me. So why don't you just give me my inheritance now? We'll call it a day, and I'll go live my life. And that's exactly what the father did which was astonishing. He gave him his inheritance. The Bible says that he goes off and he goes to a faraway land and he lives this life of partying and debauchery and you know he's just spending money like crazy on, on everything that was just wrong. And finally his money runs out. How many know that inheritance is limited? It only goes for a little while. And when his money ran out, guess what else ran out? All of his friends were gone. The people that hung out with him because they thought he was something. We only thought he was something when he had money. But when he had no more money, he was done. And there was a great famine in the land, and he needed a job, and things got desperate. So this young Jewish boy does something unthinkable. He takes a job feeding pigs. Not only does he do that, it becomes so desperate that he ends up in the pig pen with them eating their food. Yep. This young man hit bottom and drilled 50 feet down. Yeah. Oh, man. And in that moment, he has this place. He has this epiphany. The light bulb comes on. He's sitting there and he says something remarkable. It gives us a clue of what he believes about his father. He says, in my father's house, the servants are living better than I am. Maybe I can go home and be a servant in my father's house. That should give you, that should be a little taste of foreshadowing of this young man's heart. So the Bible immediately changes course and he's walking up the road and 
The father sees him a great distance off. And so the Bible says the father takes off running, runs down the road and grabs him around the neck and throws a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and tells his servants to kill the fatted calf because the son of mine who was lost has now been found. Amen. Now it's interesting because you got to ask yourself, why is the father running? Why is this happening? I don't know about you, but there's a little bit of animosity here. If, it, if my kid took my, his inheritance because I thought I was good as dead, we may have to have a few words first. But not the father. Not, the fa- not this father. See, because there was something really interesting. You can look this up if you want to. You could get online and look it up. There is a Jewish tradition. And it has a name. It's a goofy name. It's called Kazaza. I don't know how to spell it, just phonetically, I guess. K-A-Z-Z-A-A or whatever, I don't know. Kazaza. And what Kazaza was is in the event that the child would go wayward and leave home, upon their return, the village would rush out to the child. They would take a, 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 a clay jar and they would smash the clay jar at the feet of the child, conferring shame on them and pronouncing that they could never be a child again, that all they could hope for is slavery. Now, the interesting thing is, is my thought that the reason that we see the picture of the father running to his, because back in those days for a Jewish man to run was undignified. Also, traditionally, in this situation, it was said that the mother would meet the child and the father would turn his back and go inside, conferring more shame. But we don't see this picture here. We see the father running ahead of the villagers. Why? Because he was going to restore his son back to sonship before the world could confer shame and give him an identity that was not his own. Puts a ring on his finger, robe on his back, shoes on his feet, kisses him, hugs him, and kills the fatted calf. Why? Because the world said he needed to be shamed, and the father said he needed to be restored. See, this story really should be called the parable of the Father's love. Seldom, if ever, has God's incredible, compassionate love been expressed in such a real way. I don't, I don't know if you see it any clearer than in this story. See, in this story, we find the heart of the Father in ways that are almost unimaginable. In a very real sense, we see in this story that the Father's heart sees and understands the lostness of humanity. He knows the pain that comes from making decisions to indulge the world instead of him. Does anybody ever, don't raise your hand. He knows the confusion and the heartache that comes from trying to make it without him. He sees the tears that have been cried. He knows the anguish and the agony of self-righteousness. In this story, we see the father heart of God that burns with an immense desire to bring his children home, back into right relationship with him. See, as a father, he wants his children free, free to live, free to love, free to return to him. But that freedom comes at a risk because that kind of love means that it's possible for the children to leave, to go to a distant country and lose everything, or to stay at home 
and grow emotionally distant, harsh and bitter and legalistic and bound up. Isn't that what the older brother did? And this is the relationship Jesus was demonstrating before his disciples. If you see me, you've seen the Father. See, the picture that we see from our story, this father who's been a father from the beginning of time, we see outstretched arms and merciful blessing. We see a father willing to carry shame for us instead of confer it on us. We see a father never forcing himself on us, always waiting, never letting his arms drop in despair. I've often been asked, do you think God really loves us? I think he really does every day, without question. He never grows weary of loving us. He never grows weary of forgiving us and conferring his grace and his mercy upon us. He's always hoping his children return so they can live in a vital living relationship with him and with one another. His only desire is to bless. Everything God does is for your benefit and his glory. To speak good things, to lavish you with love, to pour himself fully into our lives. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 in the Amplified. It says, see what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, and bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. Look at, God has no desire to punish his children. His desire is to love his children. And the reason he doesn't want to punish us is because he knows that our excessive sin has already punished us. The father simply wants to let his children know that the the love that they've been searching for in such distorted ways has been, is, and always will be there for them in him. Now in our story, it's very important that we get the full meaning of what's happening here. See, while the father is truly filled with joy at the younger son's return, He hasn't forgotten about the older brother. He doesn't take the older brother for granted. His joy was so intense at the return of the younger brother, he could hardly wait to see or hardly wait to start celebrating. But as soon as the older brother came home, the father was aware of it. The father was aware and he went out and he says, come on in. We got a party going, come on. Your brother's home. This son of mine that was lost has now been found. But the older brother was mad. The father pleaded with the elder brother to come join them, to enter into the father's joy. But his jealousy, listen, his jealousy and bitterness is the only thing that he can see in this irresponsible younger brother. He's like, why? Listen, listen to these words carefully. Because this is where the church is living. I have served you faithfully for a lot of years. And I never got a party. This younger brother goes out and gets saved. He's been getting drunk and high and this and that and everything else. He goes out and he's a wreck. He spent everything. He wasted it. And he comes home and you throw him a party? I've been given my life. I've been to Sunday school. I've been on outreach. I come to church three times a week. I give. 
I volunteer. I worship when you tell me to. I do everything like I'm supposed to. But you know what? I just don't feel like you care. That is the heart of an orphan. That's what the brother, older brother is. See, his sin was to forget who his father was. The old younger brother's sin was to leave who his father was. But they both were gone. They both needed redemption. They both needed a revelation of who the father is. See, when the younger brother said, he goes, at least I could go home and be a servant. He was convinced he'd never be a son. And the older brother was home, and he was convinced he wasn't a son. Are you catching that? See, it's this orphan thing. It's this separation. It's this misunderstanding who the father is that sets the platform for you and I to believe the lie. That we're something other than what God says we are, and that God is something other than what he says he is. See, the Father's heart is not divided into favorites. Contrary to popular belief, God does not love one greater than another. He wants all of his children close. See, we have been so indoctrinated by this idea of performance that if we perform well, God will be pleased well. Look at God already had, God had you when he created you. He was already pleased. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know how big his grace is. Now, am I saying that we just overlook sin? (laughs) Of course not. Sin separates you from God. That's what got you in the mess. That's what lied to you. That's what orphaned you. If you're sinning, stop it. That was a good place to say amen right there. (laughs) But look at, it's not about performance. It's not about comparison. You know, we live in a world, I was just reading an article right now that uh, the problem with Facebook is it's taught us how to compare. Everything from what we eat to where we live to what we dress to how we talk, how we think. It's all about comparison. For heaven's sakes, people are taking pictures of their food. Look at this hot dog. I had hot dogs to tube steak. Now, if you take pictures of your food, God bless you. But you know what? Just because you had lots of steak and I had tube steak, it don't matter. I'm eating. And it's apparent that I haven't missed too many meals. But God's not up in heaven going through Facebook going, man, I really love that one. (laughs) Gabriel, look at, they even got Twitter and Instagram. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Move on. See, I'm convinced that much, if not all, of our struggles in life could be eliminated is if we just really knew the Father heart of God. If we understood him as our father and that I am, in fact, not an orphan. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that nothing, no thing can separate me from God. Except 
my decision to go wayward. Two verses I want you to pay close attention to. I believe these are probably the two most important verses in all of the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Simply put, you're not an accident. I don't care what your parents had intended. I don't care what sin they may have been involved in. You're not an accident. You're here because God wanted you here. And you are his child. When you come into that place where you received him, he confers to you the right, the power, and privilege of sonship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then in Romans chapter 8, and we'll be talking in the next few weeks a lot more about this verse. Verses 14 through 16, it says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For, if you, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading you to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself, bearing witness with our spirit that we are in fact the children of God. Amen. We've been adopted. We are not orphaned. In fact, Jesus says to his disciples on his ascension, he says, I am sending another. I will not leave you as orphans. Are you hearing me? There's such great implications in this passage. See, the spirit of adoption is another name for the Holy Spirit. It is the revelation of God's heart. But even more than that, it's a revelation of the kind of relationship we can have with him. See, we come before the Father and we say, Abba, Father. The word Abba was a familiar term in the first century. It's the same word in our language. It's the closest approximation of that word because there's no literal translation. But the approximate translation is Papa or Daddy. And at first it seems irreverent that you would call the God of creation, this transcendent God, call him Papa. In fact, I've done it and have had people get highly angry at me. But let me tell you something. It's more about the heart of God than it is about my reverence to him. This means that the God who angels fall before and tremble, this holy powerful, glorious God is my daddy. And the Holy Spirit says, that's what I've come to show you. That's what he wants. Yes, we are to stand in awe of his power and his glory and his majesty. We should stand in awe of him. But what he wants is us to have the confidence in his heart, in his love, and his affection for us that the word Papa would actually be a word of respect than slang. I was thinking of Oliver the other day. And a few weeks ago, something happened. We were in church and Oliver was doing what Oliver does. He's playing around and he was in the sanctuary. And I think there was, I don't think his mom and dad were in here. And I don't think any of the family were in here, Jason and Courtney and Kathy and Amy. And, and you know, nobody was in here. So he didn't really recognize, I don't think, anybody in here. 
And I came in the back door, and I could tell something was up. He was over there by that first pillar, and he's kind of sheepishly. At first, I thought he was, you know, being sneaky, but he was actually scared. Because when he turned and looked at me, he came running to me. And he grabbed me, and I picked him up, and he just held on to me. See, that's not irreverent to me. Can you imagine how insane it would be to go, stop, fall on your face first. Worship. Look at, hey, I'm the guy that preached a whole five weeks on worship, so please don't misunderstand. I believe we should worship him. But there are moments when we need to come running and we need to hang on to him. And at that moment, he's daddy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Abba revelation touches us deep, touches the deepest need in our human spirit. It answers why God created us. See, we're invited to walk in an intimate relationship with God so that we can receive the Father's embrace. The Abba revelation is a revelation of the Father heart of God. Are you hearing me? See, our lives are broken and unsettled. And they will remain that way until we know the embrace of the Father. Salvation sets the stage, church. It opens the door. But somewhere you're going to have to walk through it. Jesus said this, I'm the door. No man comes to the Father except through me. And I know that the context of all of that has been about salvation, but I wonder if as we look at that scripture, if there's a deeper meaning in that. That it's through salvation, through Christ, through faith in Him, that we can enter into this intimate relationship with the Father. And I wonder how many just stop at the door and never go any further. In our text, Jesus is telling us and telling the disciples that He was the image of all that the Father is. In fact, in John 17, 6, He's praying for the disciples and he says these words he says father I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of this world he said everything that you are everything that you're called I've manifested to them I've showed them father exactly what you're like so this morning the father heart of God is the heart that embraces us in affection and that's more than enough The the father heart of God provides for our every need. The Father heart of God knows our weakness and heals all of our affliction. The Father heart of God is patient with us and stays with us and never abandons us. The Father heart of God wants partnership with His children and gives us peace. The Father heart of God empowers us and leads us in every situation to victory. The Father heart of God trains us without shaming us and then gives us his righteousness. In other words, he gives us his grace, his divine ability to carry out his will. The Father heart of God calls us to him because he knows he alone is the answer to our lives. And the list could go on and on this morning. The vast majority of people have had a family where they haven't had a good experience with a father. And so all they know of fatherhood is 
been negative experiences, but church, I want to tell you that God's not like that. See, the devil seeks to use the pain of our life, the unfulfilled longing, the confusion, the misunderstanding, the lack of knowledge. He uses that to divert us and to look at God in ways that he's really not. See, God's not up in heaven. He's not a spiritual cop looking to write you a spiritual speeding ticket. he's, He's not an old curmudgeon that's not willing to let you sit on the furniture in the front room. He's not distant and unreachable. He's a very present help in the time of need. We need this morning a revelation of the Father heart of God. Psalms 103.13, last verse. The Bible says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those that fear him. Oh, church. We need to get to know him. Can you say amen? This is just part one. So we're heading down a road here. I thought it would be appropriate to start this series on Father's Day. Because today's his day. Amen. And it is my heart this morning that you would have a revelation of the Father. That you would know him that you no longer walk as an orphan or a slave, but that you would walk as a son. And we're going to explore that as weeks go by because I believe that will solve a lot of problems. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And we love you this morning. We thank you, God, for this revelation of who you are. And Father, I pray, God, for every person in this room today, Lord, that you would help them. Father, there's some here today that, as I've spoken, they've said, wow, that's, that's me. I get it. There's some here today that are still trying to figure it out, trying to figure out if that really was for them. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal that. But more than that, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to your children. Father, that we would no longer have to walk as orphans and slaves, but that we would walk as the children of God, fully aware of your goodness in our lives. And Father, we just give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good this morning? Now here's what we want you to do. I want you to go today. And as you're going today, take some time. Today's Father's Day. Just take a 10 minutes, 15 minutes of your day and consider his heart for you. And say thank you. It's Father's Day. It's appropriate. It's a good day to do that. Can you say amen? Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place? Our ministry team is coming. If you have a need of any kind, come on up, let them pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you later. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.